0: If you would please open to uh, 2nd Corinthians. I have been struggling with uh, this section for about six and a half, seven months, I guess. Uh, Not that it is a confusing text. It is a very plain text. But um, I know the normal response... ...that comes when you move into this topic. Uh, I don't have any way of getting around it. I mean, I just finished up chapter 7. And it would seem kind of odd if I moved straight into chapter 10. And uh, so, you guys are just going to have to endure. Um, If you remember, normally when I move into a new section... I do a kind of like an overview or a review of where it is and all the rest of it. That is what today's message will be. But I will be doing over the next probably six or seven weeks um, a biblical view of money before I actually get into eight and nine. Um, It's fascinating for me because as I get into these things and start looking I told you, told you that I've been in this text for about 7 months yeah about that and so you are kind of grabbing everything that is everywhere and uh, you don't get all of that uh, or we will we'll never get anywhere um, but it was fascinating because years ago I learned that the Lord Jesus Christ taught more on hell Than any writer in the Bible. I find that fascinating. Because we always think that he loves us and gracious and all the rest of it. But he kept saying, yeah, dude, you know what this is? So anyway. But the topic that he taught on the most. Does anybody know what that is? Money. 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 And over the next few weeks, before we get into full-blown exegete of 8 and 9, I will look at the morality of money, the love of money, the acquiring of money, and the use of money. Because um, I am convinced that there is an enormously profound ignorance of it. And um, so what I'm going to do over the next few months and show you what the Bible says about money. All right? So I'm going to open with prayer, and then we'll get into our favorite topic that we just love to hear the preacher preach on, giving. So let's pray. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, give us ears to hear, and Lord, um, even as we look upon this, Um, may we do it with great joy with great anticipation Father uh, there will be conviction there always is in your book and yet Father your grace is sufficient help each of us stand in the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ and help us evaluate ourselves don't let us look around at other brothers and sisters or spouses or anything like that help us to see Father teach us power of your spirit the authority of your word and we bow before both rejoicing that we are children of the king amen when i think about giving the first thing that how do i how do we give and 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 and, you know I, i hear a lot i get a lot of stuff almost weekly on how to get the church to give and it's some of it's comical But I think that instead of saying, you know, how am I to give? I I think that we're asking the wrong question. Okay. I think the question is, how do I invest my financial resources for eternal benefits? Okay. Um, You have a biblical model in chapters eight and nine. Okay. On how the church is to give. How do we give? Um, and, I, and I know right now a lot of you are wishing you had volunteered for the nursery. But uh, Stephanie said she would take it until next year. No, <laughs> so um, and 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 I and I know that every Christian that ever walks loves to hear the preacher talk about giving. It's our favorite topic, that in dispensationalism. OK. And and I I ponder these things as I as I think about it, because people uh, I know a lot of churches that in January, their January is always set up on stewardship. Okay, that's we do our stewardship campaign. It's how we start the year. And I keep telling myself, what does that mean? And they said, we've got to get the people to give. All right, you know, I know guys used to use guns. No, anyway, <laughs> just stand up and says, "Okay," uh, you know. And then I heard the one that says, "I'll stop preaching when you guys reach our offering," and they usually reach the offering pretty quick. Um, when I think about giving, um, it's like I said, I've been in this church for a long time, and I've had a lot of dealings with people in this church, uh, and giving has sometimes been part of it. And I think that most in the body of Christ, um, maybe most, feel some sort of guilt about their giving or lack of giving. Um, I know some right now who increase their giving... Because their accountant is going to use it to offset their taxes. Okay? And I think that in the evangelical community today in America, there are some, many, maybe most, feel some guilt when the preacher starts preaching on giving. And it's either, I'm not giving enough. Or somewhere in here, my spending is exposed. And the what I spend my money on becomes an issue of guilt. So, <clears throat> why would you willingly go and listen to someone who's going to make you feel worse? It's a good thought. Well... I will do my best not going to that I'm not going to do that okay I don't want to make you feel worse on your spending habits or your giving habits okay I actually have prayerfully considered this and am going to do my best to make you feel better about your spending and you're giving. Interesting concept, don't you think? Because there is a path to make it better. But to feel better about the way you handle finances have got to come through the Word of God. Okay? Eight and nine is giving, however you slice it. OK, but what I was doing as I over the last few months, I've, I've been kind of pulling this thing together. I realized that there are not a lot of books on giving. OK, I, you just will not go to the Christian bookstore and find out how to give away more of your money. And I thought about it. And I was like, well, if you wrote it, you wouldn't sell one copy. Because, like I said, I think there are some people who have carried guilt about their giving. But the other thing is, is that I think that inherent in the nature of America, we are reluctant to be separated from our money. Yet, everyone in this room has heard it is better to give than to receive. And if you read your Bible and it's red-lettered, you will find out that's done in red-letter. Jesus said that. I believe, and I will show you over the next few months, and I have experienced it myself. That if we give as God has said, now be careful Everybody's going to start thinking tithe, and I don't think you really wanted to just step in that one, because this is not a theocracy. Okay, be real careful. And the tithe was actually twenty three percent. All right, just so you know, because that's that's what they gave the Jewish. Uh, did I ever tell you about the one about giving of your first fruits? Okay, because I I know some people say, well, here's my adjusted gross income and I gave 10%. Well, it's supposed to be (laughs) of all of it. Anyway, we'll get into all of this. I believe if you do it the way God said, you will find it extraordinarily freeing. You will find it rewarding. You will find it joyous. And you will be enriched by doing it. Okay. Okay. And I know most of you are like, I don't want to hear this. All right, let me show you something. You think I'm making this up? I've been reading. Look at verse 2 of chapter 8. Okay, and this is kind of what I'm going to move off of in the next. Okay, he's commending the church in Macedonia. If you look at the Greek peninsula, where Corinth is in Achaia, it's the southern part of Greece. The northern part is Macedonia. All right. He's committing the churches of Macedonia. And he says, now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given to the churches in Macedonia. He says, let me tell you what's happened north of you, Corinth. Okay. Verse two, that in great ordeal of affliction. Okay. Now look what it says. In a great ordeal of affliction, what happened? Their abundance of joy. Wouldn't you like to have an abundance of joy? Look what he says. And their deep poverty. You got affliction, you got poverty. Overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Hmm. He commends them that in great poverty and affliction, they were overabundant in their giving. Overabundant in their giving. Look at verse 3. I testify, for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability. What happened? They gave on their own. Accord, They gave freely and they did it on their own. Their own choice. They gave beyond their ability and it was because they wanted to do it. Out of deep poverty, they gave freely. Okay. So what's the big deal? Look at verse 4. I guys should read that. This is a verse here that you will not see stuck on your refrigerator. Verse 4. Begging us with much arguing for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. They were pleading with Paul for the privilege to give more. Why? Because it had an abundance of joy. Now I hope over the next few months I can get all of you there. That you're begging to give more. The churches in Macedonia pled with Paul to give more. I wrote a little footnote here. Put it in red. You know what it says? really? (laughs) Really? But you know what? I was blessed. I have seen this. I think I was in about the fifth year of my ministry in this church. And uh, one of the elders came up to me and he said, we need to talk. And I said, all right. And that's January, February, somewhere in there. And he said, "Uh, you knew that we had a note on our property. And I said, yeah, it's a long story, but the Southern Baptists cut it off, so we had to get an individual to lend us the money to finish paying off our property. And I said, all right, yeah, I know. He says, do you know that in May, the balloon payoff is due? What? <laughs> he says, yeah, in, in May, 1st of May, there's a balloon payment, the final payment is due on it. So your mouth automatically dries up, and you're like, whoa, far out. <laughs> and so you're trying to ask yourself, am I brave enough to say, how much is it? Okay. He looked at me, and he looked me right in the eye, and then his head went like this. And I was like, oh, jeez, <laughs> What does that mean? He says, uh, $16,000. And our congregation is just about the size it is right now. And I went, <laughs> eh, well, all right, we'll give it back to the Methodist." <laughs> I don't have no problem. <laughs> we'll, you know, I said, that's what I'll do. I'll preach and tell them that we can't afford this unless you give. So we'll be meeting in each, our, each of our homes. <laughs> Go from house to house, week in and week out. And that way we'll get them to do it. And I said, well, Hank, here's the deal. And he says, what's that? I said, we better pray. So the next Sunday, I brought it up to the congregation that we needed to do this. And and there was a slow influx that started trickling in each Sunday, marked out to pay off the building and the property. We came down to uh, the first Sunday in May. Okay, so I come walking into my office and Hank is already there. And you're like, oh, this is ugly, isn't it? And uh, he said, uh, we need to talk. And I was like, all right. He says, you know, we need to pay this off today. And I was like, okay. And he said, uh, I said, how much do we owe? <laughs> he said, uh, $6,200. In one Sunday? I mean, that's our monthly budget. And he said, well, you just got to tell them. I said, all right. So I preached, and then I got to the conclusion of the message. I shared, Will, $6,200. So they took up the offering. And he came back, and he says, it's $5,800. And so the next thing I know, and I, and, I, and I don't know who the people were, but they began bidding on who was going to pay it off. And I'm sitting there going, Really? And we actually ended up with a profit by the end of the time. I don't know who did it. You know, you have your ideas, but uh, Hank, Hank and Willie at that time came, and they said, well, there are several individuals who want to pay this off. And I was like, well, we don't, you know, and they, well, I'll give this much, and I guess they all negotiated it, and and it came about. And I was like, so why guys, you guys don't give that way all the time? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But I share that because, you know, when you think about giving, you say, wow, that's that's pretty pretty special. But I also remember the people who used to do the budget. This was years ago. They said you have to increase the budget because this forces people to give more because they're signing on to it. And you'll never meet that budget, but if you set it higher, they'll come in and give more. And I said, I don't like the sound of that. Okay, and um, so if you were ever to look at our budget, you will see that it's bare bones. We don't have a lot of extra. The Corinthians were being told that the churches to the north of them were pleading and begging to give more. And yet they were poor. That's impressive. Chapter nine. Verse 6. A very simple principle, uh, really, if you think about it. um, Here's what he says Now, this I say He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, I'm going to ask you a simple question Do you believe the Bible? Do you believe that verse? Okay. I mean, it's not really that complicated. I mean, it's it's not like, well, I wonder what he's trying to get at here. Okay. I mean, and and if you think about it, um, if you take one tomato seed, one seed, Okay, one tomato seed. You stick it in the dirt and you do all that gardening stuff to it. Do you just get one tomato? Okay. Not only do you not get just one tomato, how many more seeds do you get? Okay, do you believe if that's what God does, Why wouldn't he do it with our money? It's a simple question. What you plant determines your crop. Right? Verse 7. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. Not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful farmer. No, giver. Okay? Let me ask you a simple question. What do you want to receive from Christ? Because according to this, it will be directly re- reflective of your... does he dare say that? Your giving? Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You know what's amazing about that? What you purpose, God works a lot of alls in. <laughs> Did you see that? He will take care of Every bit of it. You know what? Do you understand what God's return is? When you invest in something, if you've got a savings account or you've got a 401k or something like that, you always say, well, what will be the return on it? Um, what's God's return? He has an amazing capacity that actually knows no limits. On its return. God supplies the seed. To the sower. He supplies the bread for the food. And guess what he does in the meantime? He increases it. He multiplies it. So a seed you get a crop. Out of it it will be multiplied. Why? You will end up with more seeds. So now your crop has gone from one tomato seed to a plant of tomato seeds, to a harvest of tomatoes, to a whole full-blown garden of tomatoes. And it all happened with one seed that God multiplied. God keeps multiplying. Listen, do you understand something here? Do you understand that this is God's principles? Verse 10, he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Do you realize what he's still talking about there? You don't have because you didn't give. That's basically what he's saying. And you know what? I have watched this in my life so many times I can't even begin to talk about it. I don't even, I have so many illustrations that I know that I, in some cases, endured. I had two families living in my house and nobody paid any rent or groceries but me. At that time, I had taken a third percent cut and pay from here at the church. And we never lacked anything. And we ate well. I was running about $600 a week in groceries. And you know what? I cannot put this thing down on a piece of paper and make it come out mathematically. And yet I never lacked. I do not understand how it happened. Okay. You put it down on a piece of paper. You go. (laughs) That no fly. (laughs) God says. No it does. I'll take care of it. You will be enriched in everything. For all liberality. Which. Through us is producing thanksgiving to God. We sow and we reap. It's a simple principle. Whenever we sow, God multiplies it and gives back. And you are enriched and it brings you great joy. And every once in a while you can sit around like I did when I had two families living in my house. And say, I just don't see how this all comes together. And yet it does. I guess the simple question is how much you want. How much are you willing to sow? How much blessing and joy do you want from God? How much do you want to invest in the greatest single investment that there is on the planet? To invest with the living God, He will only give you a full return on everything that you invest. That's the heart of this section, brothers and sisters. So as a pastor, as a brother in Christ, it's my responsibility now to get you to a place where you line up pleading for an opportunity to give. What a blast, huh? Listen, when you understand this, and will, and you will understand this, then it will bring a harvest of time and eternity. It will bring a harvest in the eternal, and it will bring a harvest in the temporal. And God will be in charge of both. Okay, now then. Kind of as an overview, I, I, I want to share with you this, because I, I am not stupid here. Okay? You have a battle on two fronts right now that makes your giving and your trusting of this text excruciatingly difficult, okay? Two fronts, all right? And it's everything you deal with and the doubts you have are going to be in these two fronts, okay? First, the world. I mean, we all say, duh, okay? The world wants to suck up as much of your money as it can. All right. Because it doesn't want you to be able to give what we should. All right. You have to understand something. The 1900s, that is the first century that there was ever advertising. Okay. Do you know what advertising is for? To separate you from your money. That is all that it is for. Where there is advertising, all it's wanting is your money. And you've got just... We're just into the second century of it now. It's never been advertising. You go get a newspaper. If you can find a newspaper anymore. I don't know if you can find a newspaper. But if you go get a newspaper, what is 95% of the paper? ads listen if you have a television do you think that that thing and television stations are for programs really no they're for commercials I'm going to put a program on so you can see my Commercial. I remember when cable TV was first born. Why did you get cable? No commercials. You paid to watch the shows. Now what? You got commercials. Okay. The programs are to get you to watch the commercial and they are good at it. Let me tell you something. How many commercials do you know the jingle of right now? Or the tagline, the little lizard. Hey, love you, man. Hey, Taco Bell. You don't remember that about movies, but I remember the commercials. We have a Super Bowl event, and why do people watch it? For the commercials. They are good. And the only reason they want you to watch the program is so they can separate you from your money. Have you ever seen a car commercial? Can you tell me one safety feature about a car that you've seen in a commercial? They don't, everybody's got airbags. They don't tell you they got airbags. Look. It's pretty. $149 a month forever. And it can be yours. Nobody tells me anything about the car. Is it all wheel drive? Is it a stick shift? Is it an automatic? Does it have drizzle control wipers? Can I get a sunroof in it? Is it leather interior? Cloth interior? This is made in Motown. What the heck does that mean? It sings? But they want you to buy the new and the pretty, right? The world is coming after you, and it's coming after your money. And it wants to separate you from your money. They have a tremendous power. Think about media. I don't care what the media is. Tell me what form of media you can watch that doesn't have commercials in it. Not that. I get commercials on my phone. He says they go, what? It just inserts it there and plays. I got a thing that keeps coming up there and says, you want to see this cartoon of this game you can play? No. <laughs> I want to talk to people. I don't want to watch the smallest screen I can find. The medium in every form has commercials in it. And you know what is really cool? You've got to understand something about the commercial advertising. They are some of the most gracious people you'll ever get a hold of. They will even offer you credit to buy what they're selling. You don't even have to have money. We'll put it on a revolving charge. You'll be deeper in debt, and the more deeper in debt you are, guess what? What happens to your giving? I know churches right now have credit card machines in the pews. You can swipe your card. So we're building a church on credit. It can be extraordinarily difficult to live within a normal budget just simply because of our overspending. And it didn't even take in. Someone made this statement, and I can't remember who it was. He says, you can figure out your cost of living and your budget by taking all of your income and add 20% to it. That'd be your cost of living. Okay, and you know what? There are a lot of people who live there. A lot of people live there. Surveys say that those who are 30 years of age and under who um, end up divorced, 80% is because of finances. And you know what's amazing to me? Most of us in this room right now have way more money than our fathers or parents grandparents, I remember, and I, I shared this in our Sunday school, I remembered when I was getting ready to get out of high school that if you were going to buy a house, you bought a house based on one year what your yearly wage is. That's what you paid for it. And you didn't buy anything over that. There's cars that cost more than that now. Okay, but let me explain to you something. Your grandparents and your parents, they did not have the advertising and the materialization that you and I are enduring. It is insane what we endure. Then they all want you to get rid of your money. Look at the catalogs. We oh, have catalogs and you can look through them and look through them and look through them and look through them and then all of a sudden you realize that there is something in there you probably do need. Okay, and they're going to give me credit. I heard a guy one time says, I don't mind my son is earning more than I did on my first job. The problem is he's six and it's his allowance. We spend over 50% of our waking time thinking about money. 50%, how to get it, how to spend it, how to save it, how to invest it, how to earn it, how to borrow it, and how to find it. Our culture that you're in is materialistic. It's indulgent, and it takes a toll on your giving to the church, whether you like it or not. Okay, but you figure that the world's coming after your money. All right, but that's what I would classify as the external. But you're also attacked in the Christian community for your money. Okay, the world's always telling us how to spend our money foolishly. But the Christian world, they want to separate you from your money too. And remember, they won't spend it foolishly. Okay, Uh, what was their names? Jim and Tammy. Okay, do I need to go down the list and tell you all of the church scandals of people who got extraordinarily rich? Many want in the body of Christ want to build an empire and they want you to foot the bill for it. They want you know, I've seen prayer cloths, $100. And then send me the prayer cloth back with the $100 tucked in there and I'll pray for whatever it is you want me to pray for. And you know how much money he made? $16 million. And then some guy went out with his little camera, shut it in the trash trash can. You see all these prayer cloths sitting in the dumpster. And they, wow, we shouldn't give to him. You think the Lord has laid on my heart. If you don't give me a billion dollars to build my hospital, he will strike me dead. Bye. (laughs) How much money does, quote unquote, the church spend on television and radio asking for money? How much money is taken out of the Christian kingdom and its resources and poured into the temporal? And let me ask you a question. What would it look like if it was poured into the eternal? Why do we publish books? I mean, everybody's telling me I'm publishing a book. Well, good. Well, have you ever thought about writing? I did a coloring book years ago. It didn't make it to the New York Times bestseller. (laughs) So I give it up. Why do they do that? Why do they do that? I only know one person that I believe has the right formula for publishing. Dr. MacArthur. He doesn't take a penny from books. The only money that Dr. MacArthur makes is what Grace Community Church gives him. That's it. Nothing from the radio, nothing from publishing. He's not in it for the money. I would hope that each of you would pay attention after so much deceit and scandal in the evangelical community that you would think seriously hard about giving it to somebody that you don't really know. We should be on alert where we spend our money in our ministry. Those people that we support, we pull our money out of this SBC. OK, when I sent my money to Denver for missions and they planted a church two blocks away from me. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> OK, no, I, know, I ain't giving you money to start somebody up the street from me. OK, so we quit doing it. So the people that we send our money to, they have the same thing in common that I have. The word of God, the word of God. And if that don't work, the word of God. And you know what? We have had a massive harvest that continues. It's that simple. I have people on a weekly basis saying, would you like to give? I'd love to give. What are you doing? I don't do that. I don't do that. We need to be alert to what we're doing. Are they worried more about their wardrobes, their cars, their houses, and their empires? I do not know how a pastor in good conscience can say, I want to take you guys and put you $2 million in debt, but we're going to have a nice church building. I don't know how you do that in good conscience. I really don't have any idea how you do that. Well, you were, we're too big. Well, fine, but I don't know how you need to get (laughs) that deep in debt. Tell them to pony up now. Voltaire, um, one of my favorite atheists, um, philosopher, he lived from 1694 to 1778. He criticized the Protestant movement. He was really hard on the Catholics, okay, because in France, you were having the Renaissance and they basically took a harlot and put it on the altar at, uh, what is the cathedral there? Notre Dame. Put a harlot on there and said, we will no longer worship the pope. We will worship the harlot. and They've been doing it ever since. But anyway, um, he was hard on the Catholics. But he criticized the Protestants too. And he said this about the Protestant movement. The Protestant has come about to offer people a less expensive substitution for the sacraments of Catholicism, unquote. And I thought, you know what, Voltaire? If you was alive today and seen what the Protestant church was doing, you'd realize we've outpaced the Catholics. (laughs) We're not even going to give you a sacrament. (laughs) Just send your $100 bill wrapped in the prayer cloth. Well, All right. (laughs) What would he say? Listen, many Christians hammer you on what you should give to. And you know what? I don't even get me started on Parachurch Ministries. Okay, there's no biblical precedence for them anywhere. All right, and I, I'll just leave it at that. And I wonder how many dollars they've taken out of the Bride of Christ for their empire, and they march out a little kid starving, twenty dollars. Take care of it forever. Send it to Harvard. And I'm sitting there going, you know what? Jesus said, I will have the poor with me always. Okay? We're not giving them what they need. But we are hammered. And you know what? I understand you have the world. And I understand the power that they have. But you also have the churches that are exploiting people. And I don't care what anybody says. I know a church right now that spends $5,000 a month in advertising. Do you know what Pastor Paul could do with $5,000 for just one month? Okay. We can hire fundraisers. People who will help us raise money. We can hire PR people, public relations people. We can hire advertising. Or, if you're really good, you can just guilt people into the Old Testament tithe. I heard a figure, okay? And it was speaking of the evangelical church in America. Fundamental evangelical church. And it says, if you took everyone in the evangelical church in America today, and you took them to the poverty line. Everybody's income is the poverty line. He says, but everyone gave 10%. Do you realize that there would be a 300% increase in church giving? Listen, people... Don't give I mean you can roll it out And you can do the manipulation Let me show you a little starving kid Or let me show you this Let me show you that Uh, And I, I guess the reasons are Some just have a lack of love For the Lord's kingdom Okay Some have too much debt Some Spend it on themselves And you know what Some just flat out Don't understand And, um, we over the next few months are going to look at these foundational truths because there's some stuff that I guarantee you, most of you are not aware of because I was shocked when I found it. I'm like, wow, really? (laughs) That's pretty amazing. Okay. And, and I'm not, I want you to be like the churches in Macedonia. Even, you know, we say, well, I just don't have that much. What about the widow and her two mites? Do you know what a mite is? If you put two of them together, you don't have a penny. And Jesus said she did what? Gave more than any. You ever thought about that? I don't don't have two pennies. (laughs) Well, all right. And yet we all read it. We think it's a cute. And you know what it's compared to, right? The Pharisee came in, had a big water money, dropped it in the horn, blowed the horn. And he says, uh, the widow gave more. And we read it and say, oh, that's great. Okay, let me tell you something. We're all guilty of this. There's times we just don't do it. Why? I don't know. But I'm going to give you over the next few months the foundations for this. And it's going to be just as simple. What does the scripture say? What does it say? I've seen a little cartoon. <laughs> the guy was, was convicted by the pastor's sermon that he needed to give more. So what he did is he took the pastor outside and he says, look. He says, I'm going to draw a circle around me. Okay, and I'm going to take my money I'm going to throw it up in the air. Whatever lands inside of the circle is mine to keep. Whatever God wants, he'll grab it out of the air. You know, what? I think there's times that we do that. Well, if he wants it, he'll figure out where to get it. Well, he's already figured out where to get it. So the next few weeks, we will work on this foundation so you can see where money came from. Okay? People don't understand where money came from. You guys need to read Job. Job had a few pennies. God took it all away from him. But then what did he do? Gave him more. Okay? And and, and you know what? There's a possibility today that you are in too much debt to do any more than what you're doing right now. You know what? Um,. I've already begun praying for you. Because if you're curious, if you want to know something about debt, ask yourself a question about debt. How fast can you get into it? Why does it take so long to get out of it? Okay. Then you'll see the system that you're in. And it, it's unrelenting. I understand that. I completely understand it. I am not here to condemn you on your giving. Okay, but I am to show you what the foundation for God's command is. And I read the Macedonian church pleading to give more, and Paul was trying to make them stop because they were so poor. That's an interesting phenomenon. I would even classify it as (laughs) miraculous. (laughs) But the Macedonians didn't have advertising and cable TV. Okay? Let's pray. Father, to your glory. Uh, Father, let us understand that everything we have is yours. Father, let us understand that the God of all glory has blessed each and every one of us in this room beyond any comprehension that we even have. And yet, Father, let us be about our Father's work. Let us understand the urgency of this day. Let us understand that for such a time as this, you have each and every one of us. Let us understand that we purpose in our hearts things that we do. Father, that sets the morality of money through our souls. Help us, Father. Help us to walk worthy to your glory and praise. Amen.